I'm very grateful and excited to introduce uh, a friend and guest speaker today, uh, Nick Parsons, to the stage. Uh, Nick is a wonderful leader involved in the church planning uh, movement here in the Bay Area in some, in some key roles, uh, being the managing director of the Stratum Foundation, which has blessed uh, current in both tangible and intangible ways. Cindy serves as a, as a board member on that, in that group, and he's also the director of recruiting with, with the Orchard Group. So we're really excited to have him up as he continues our series that we kicked off last week, Identity, going through the book of Ephesians. So can we put our hands together and welcome Nick to the stage? Thank you, David. Good morning, Current. Good to be back with you uh, again today. Uh, as always, I'm a big fan of this church uh, and everyone I've met here, and I'm delighted to be here today. I got to bring a couple of my kids this time, so uh, yeah, happy to be here today. And I'm going to be picking up uh, just exactly where David left off last Sunday when he kicked off this new series uh, on Ephesians entitled Identity. So let me read our text for the day. I'm going to make a comment, and then we'll get into it. Okay, so this is Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 14. It says this. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Pause. David covered some of these themes last week. If you missed that message, you can go online and give it a listen. We're going to be focusing more on the next two verses that I'm going to read. This is Ephesians 1, uh, 13 and 14. It says this, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit this morning, and I don't know if you are familiar with church or the Bible or the Christian faith, but the Holy Spirit is a somewhat controversial subject in churches. Uh, there are pretty wide differences of opinion uh, amongst different Christian groups about what it means and looks like for someone to have the Holy Spirit active in the life of a follower of Jesus or active in the life of the church. And spoiler alert, I'm not going to get in, into any of the controversy today. So... Um, <laughs> Most of the debate, though, really the difference of opinion, is really around secondary issues related to the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to look really at the primary work of the Holy Spirit, the primary role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, and so maybe if you're brand new to exploring Jesus, you've never even heard of the Holy Spirit, like that's totally fine. Uh, today will be a good introduction for you as well, I promise. And so again, today, as we look at the Holy Spirit, it's not an exhaustive study. There's a lot of things I'm not going to cover, more of an overview of some essential things. And we're going to start actually by examining a time in which Jesus explained to his followers what the Holy Spirit was all about, okay? We will get back to Ephesians, I promise we're going to end there, but we're going to start with the moment that Jesus explains and promises that he will send the Holy Spirit when he leaves. Does that sound good? Okay. Uh, this teaching, it comes from the evening before Jesus will leave his followers and the events leading up to his crucifixion are going to begin. It's a conversation that happens when Jesus is sharing his final meal with his disciples. This is sometimes called the Last Supper. I think a picture may come up for you. Uh, if you're familiar with this painting by Leonardo da Vinci, uh, the disciples at the table, Jesus in the middle, right? Uh, English speakers, we often call this the Last Supper, but in Italian, which I don't speak Italian, so I'm going to butcher this, uh, it is actually la ultima cena, the ultimate supper. And what's happening in this night, it's not just like the last time they got together. It's the ultimate. It's the pinnacle. It's the finale of Jesus' time with his disciples. And one of the main things that Jesus talks about in an extended way during this last meal is the Holy Spirit. 
The night before he leaves, one of his final chances, one of his final opportunities to talk to his closest friends, his closest followers, the people who are gonna, he's gonna pass the baton of this little movement to and who are gonna take it to the ends of the earth, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. And so that should tell us something about the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The disciples though, as they are often in the Bible, and I appreciate this, are a little confused. They, they like don't really understand the gravity of the situation. They don't understand what's happening fully in these last moments. They haven't really wrestled and internalized that Jesus will soon be taken from them, even though he's been telling them that he's going to be leaving them. So he's been saying, I'm going to leave, Holy Spirit's going to come, and they're like, I don't understand what's going on, okay? So Jesus, he's trying to prepare his disciples for his departures with his words, with his teaching, but the disciples don't get what he's sharing. They're totally confused, and so Jesus says this. This is John 16, verses 5 through 7. He says this, but now I am going to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking me, where are you going? Instead, your hearts are filled with sadness because I have said these things to you. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I'm going away. Now, this would have been like extremely confusing for the disciples. They, they are still like trying to wrap their minds around a world in which Jesus, who they expect and follow because they think he's going to be a reigning like earthly king with like an earthly kingdom, like he's going to overthrow the Romans that oppress the Jewish people. These people who think that's coming are and people who have left their careers, their families, their homes. They followed him for three years, and now they're being told to prepare for a world in which he's not there. And on top of all of that, on top of all of that, all of that's happening, Jesus is going to say that it's actually a good thing. Like, it's a good thing, guys. It's cool. Okay? And the disciples, I just have to think, they must be thinking, how is Jesus leaving a good thing? Like, how, in what universe is this good? This guy who can heal the sick, who they've seen with their own eyes, like, raise a dead person? In what, in what like, reality is him leaving a good thing? What, what happened to the reigning kingdom that they're expecting? They just have to be like totally confused. I can imagine just like looking at each other and being like, do you like know what he's talking about? Like, did I miss something? And, you know, I kind of imagine like the disciples, like kids, high school kids and high school trigonometry, I'm probably projecting myself here, just like words are coming and they're like, I don't get it. Like, I, I just don't, I don't understand. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that with Jesus where you're learning something about God or you're learning something in the scriptures or something you hear in a sermon and you're just like totally confused. It like doesn't make sense. I, you know, I know I have personally. Um, I'm, if you're someone who's ever done one of those like read through the Bible plans, I'm doing one of those this year. Um, you know, read through the Bible in a year plans. And I'm in the middle of this book, Leviticus. And it's just like instructions for like skin sores and like, you know, very, I'm like, what is happening? Like, what, what is going on? Like, I, I don't know what's going on with all these animal sacrifices, these rules, regulations. What is the point of all this? What is God trying to say? Have you ever been there in your relationship with God or as you've thought about Jesus? You know, maybe you're someone who's thought deeply about, the, the, about God's nature or about eternity or about the problem of evil and pain in the world and you've just gotten stuck. Something doesn't make sense. Have you ever been in that place? That's where the disciples are. That's the kind of moment they're having with Jesus, that, that they've been interested in him, they've been following him, and now something's happening and it's disconnecting. It's not making sense. Jesus is speaking and they don't understand what he's saying. Okay, so back to Jesus. He's telling his disciples he's leaving. They don't understand. That's the, the, the mental, emotional space they're in. And he continues. He says this. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. 
But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you. It's interesting that he says that he's about to leave. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So to simplify, there's a number of things Jesus is saying there. He's basically saying, hey, when I leave, you know, and he alludes to his death and his resurrection and his ascension when he goes back to heaven, and he's kind of giving them like a foretaste of that, that this is all going to be followed by him sending an advocate, the spirit of truth, someone who will guide them into all truth is what it says. And so these confused and disoriented disciples, they're being promised something better than Jesus' physical presence with them, the Holy Spirit. And if I put myself in their shoes, I can totally understand why they're confused by this story. You know, Jesus leaving being a good thing because he's sending the Holy Spirit, it's like, I'm not signing up for that. It's a little hard for me to believe that this is better for them if I'm totally honest when I read the text. And so today, we're going to try to answer some of that question. Why is it better for us to have access to the Holy Spirit than to Jesus' physical presence? I think that's a kind of core question as we study and think about the Holy Spirit. Like, why is this actually a good thing? Why is that better? And, and what I love about this passage where Jesus is sharing some of the things that are hard to understand, where the disciples are confused, and that we read in this text, and we ourselves might even be confused about some things, even stuff about the Holy Spirit, is that there's this promise right in the middle where Jesus says in verse 12 and 13, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And, and I love that because it's this little reminder that even for the disciples who spent years with Jesus, like walked with him every day, hung out with him for like countless hours, there were some things that they couldn't immediately understand even though they were following him. There were some things that they didn't even have the capacity or the maturity to bear, to hear, to grapple with. But I love that God also promises in the midst of that help. He promises a guide, someone who will help us understand, who will help them understand when we are confused as we follow Jesus. I love that promise. And what's cool about this teaching, it, it just reminded me when I uh, studied this text, you know, it reminds me of an experience I had as a brand new believer I, did, I didn't, uh, I grew up as a very nominal Christian um, that I had that really just like um, illustrated for me some of the truths of this text, illustrate some of the things like the surprising work of the Holy Spirit, the confusion that even happens when we study the Bible or follow Jesus. And it's probably, I want to share this story. It's probably just one of a handful of like semi-miraculous moments that I've had in my life that uh, I just recognized, man, I clearly experienced the work of the Holy Spirit. And so for me, I became a Christian when I was 16. Uh, again, nominal Christian background, like my parents went to, uh, to church, like Christmas, Easter occasions, that kind of thing. And, and I, uh, I had a very rebellious, I was a very troubled teenager. And in a story that's like way too long to tell, like this story would take like days if I shared it with you, is I came to Christ on like a, on an LSD trip, okay? So super interesting, like very, very Silicon Valley cool now, but like 20 years ago, it was super weird. Um, and in this moment, literally, I can remember this moment, my life was set on a radically different trajectory. Like, I began to follow Jesus instead of doing whatever I wanted, and he became truly the Lord of my life. Everything in that moment began to change. It started this, like, totally different trajectory. But if I'm 100% honest, it was, like, super rocky. Like, I was a very raw disciple. 
Like, I did not know how to follow Jesus. I, I started going to a church and a youth group, and I totally didn't fit in with the kids there. I remember we went on a trip. It was, like, my first, like, youth group thing, and I almost got sent home because I almost got in a fight with somebody. Um, it, it was tough, but I had some amazing uh, adults who were kind of like uh, youth volunteers that invested in me, and they took me under their wing, and they discipled me, and they taught me how to follow Jesus, and they started by really just encouraging me to read the Bible. So they were like, hey, man, if you want to follow Jesus, like, you got to read the Bible. I was like, that makes sense. Cool. I'm in. I will do that. And so like any book, you open it up, right? Beginning, Genesis, I'm going to start reading. And I started reading 10 or 15 chapters a day, starting in Genesis, working my way through the Old Testament, into the New Testament, got all the way through the Gospels where they talk about the story of Jesus, the book of Acts, where it talks about the life and the beginning of the church. And then I got stuck in the book of Romans. So I don't know if you guys have ever read Paul's letter, same person who wrote Ephesians, to the Romans, but it was so confusing for me. It was like unbelievably confusing for me. I just felt entirely like I couldn't get it. Like I was totally lost. And I, I can remember rereading the chapters and then trying to follow the logic. And maybe because I was just reading a bunch of like the history that, that when we got to this like letter thing, it was just totally confusing. And, and I can remember even people saying like, oh, Romans, it's like super important. Like, man, it's like one of the like most important books in the Bible. And I'm like, I, and I can't get Romans. Awesome. Um, for me, it just felt way too confusing. And, you know, I can remember in that moment, I was sitting in the hall, I was skipping class uh, to read the Bible. Um, again, like very raw and confused disciple. And um, I remember just thinking like entirely, like, I'm never going to understand this. Like, I can't do this. It's too confusing. It's not for me. Maybe I'm not cut out for this following Jesus stuff. Maybe this is all off and wrong. And so I did something that like, I don't recommend. Um, not something that I, that, I, that I think you should do. But in this moment of confusion, I just felt, I felt led to pray. And so I prayed for God to help. I really wanted him to speak to me. And again, I did something that was like, this isn't a good idea. So I'm going to tell you a story, but I'm not like, do this, okay? And so I was desperate though. And so I just prayed, you know, God, I'm going to open up this Bible. I'm just going to random page it. And then I'm going to put my finger. And wherever my finger goes, God, I just want you to speak to me, okay? So I did this. Open my Bible, random spot, random page, put my finger down. Open it up, and this is 100% a real story. I'm not lying to you. I'm not exaggerating anything. To 2 Peter chapter 3, this is verse uh, 15 and 16. Let me read this to you. This is Peter, one of Jesus' followers, early leader in the church, writing to Christians. He says this, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Friends, it, it was like God saw me in my desperation and the Holy Spirit told a joke. And just playfully sort of like led me to this text. And I just remember thinking like Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, one of his closest friends, also thought Paul was so confusing that he had to like write to his followers and be like, heads up, this guy's confusing. He's good, he's wise, God's with him, but like it's hard. And I just remember feeling like if it's okay for Peter to be confused by Paul, then it's okay for me to be confused as well. And I hope you catch this. Confusion didn't disqualify me from following Jesus. And that was really important for me in that moment. God met me in that day. And his spirit guided me in a unique way into the truth that I needed in that very moment. The spirit encouraged me to keep going even when I was confused, even when I was discouraged. 
Now again, exceptional moment, totally tried that again, didn't work at all, okay? <laughs> it's not like the genie in a bottle thing, you know, where we summon God to do whatever we please. But it really was for me one of the first clear examples of God's personal love for me and of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, guiding me into the truth that I needed to keep following Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is all about, a guide to help us keep following and becoming like Jesus. Okay, so let's answer that question again. Why is it better for us to have access to the Holy Spirit than Jesus' physical presence? And to answer this question, it's important for us to understand that the Holy Spirit's main job is to glorify, to highlight, to point us to Jesus, to help us follow Jesus. And Jesus explains that as he continues in John 16, where he's teaching his disciples. Let me read this. This is John 16, verse 13. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says this, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said that the Holy Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Now, I've heard it described by someone before that the Holy Spirit's role is sort of like a floodlight, like the kind of light that's like on the outside of a building or, you know, that shines on it at night to make the architecture or the landscaping uh, pop or, you know, something that shows a sign, like the big floodlights that make a sign visible, something that illuminates something else so that others can see it. And that's really one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit, to illuminate Jesus, to shine on his work, his teaching, his words, so that everyone can understand them. That the Spirit takes the words and the work of Jesus and makes them known and understandable to the world. So instead of, and this is you know, interesting to think about, instead of people needing to come to Jesus in person, needing to learn Hebrew or Aramaic to understand his teaching, instead of waiting for days or weeks or months to hear him, if you read the Bible, there's actually lots of times where people are like waiting around to try to hear Jesus or catch him or find him or whatever, uh, like he's Pokemon or something. Um, <laughs> But imagine, right, imagine for a second, like if Jesus was physically on the earth today, it would be chaos. Like the, the, it would be so hard to get time with him and it would be so limited, you know, but the spirit instead being present when Jesus isn't present makes Jesus' words universally available. It's the Holy Spirit that inspired the authors of the scriptures. It's the Holy Spirit that brings clarity and conviction to our hearts as humans when we read those scriptures. It's the Holy Spirit that actively uh, whispers to our hearts and draws us into relationship with Jesus. And so on one level, just a very basic level, it's preferable to have the Holy Spirit than Jesus because the Spirit multiplies like a million times over the access humans have to Jesus, his words, his work, his teaching. We don't have to wait in line. We don't have to learn another language. Now, anyone, anywhere, at any time, through the Holy Spirit, can access Jesus. Jesus' Spirit makes his words and his work accessible to everyone. And it's really interesting, is this is actually the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy from the book of Joel. Uh, it's something Peter, the Apostle Peter, quotes when the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples in the book of Acts. If you're familiar with that, that's okay if you're not. It's just, this is something that was promised way before Jesus even came around. It says this, this is Acts chapter 2, quoting Old Testament prophecy, Joel chapter 2. It says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So part of God's intention in sending the Spirit from the beginning was that the Spirit would universalize the presence of Jesus so that all people can come and have access to experience him. But I want to give you another reason that the Holy Spirit is so important, even preferable to the experience that the disciples had when they were with Jesus physically, uh, but when they didn't have the same kind of access to the Holy Spirit in the way that Jesus was promising. 
And it's kind of like the difference between external power or internal power. Maybe you've heard an illustration like this before, but if I like light like a firecracker and place it, on my op- place it on my open hand and like it blows, you know, like it'll make a loud sound, I might get like a little bit of a burn, but like ultimately I'm probably not gonna be like too hurt, right? Now if I light a firecracker and I put it in my hand and I like wrap my hand, it goes inside of my hand, wrap around it, and I blow it up, my hand's probably gonna blow off, lose a couple fingers, whatever, right? <laughs> Terrible. Now if I take that same firecracker and I light it, and I swallow it somehow, it gets deep inside of me, and it blows up. Like, I'm gonna Gallagher, the first three seats, rows here, uh, in a horrible, gross illustration. But it's, it's something there, right, that the Holy Spirit, like, it has, has certain kind of similarity. That it, I know that's a little bit gross, but, but, and no one should play with firecrackers. My, my wife made me <laughs> promise to say this. But it's sort of like the same way with Holy Spirit and Jesus. Like if I encounter Jesus outside of me, it's one thing. But if Jesus gets inside of me, if he has access to my thoughts, to my dreams, to my emotions, to my history, to my experiences, to all of me, how much more powerful will my experience with Jesus be? That is what the Holy Spirit does. Sometimes the Bible calls this the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the scriptures teach that when someone comes to faith in Jesus, that they are actually born again. And one of the unique things that happens is the spirit of Jesus actually takes up residence inside of us. Uh, Again, this is like something that God promised in the Old Testament. And we see it as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy from the book of Ezekiel. It says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You ever wonder why in the New Testament we don't have those, like the same laws and all the stuff written down is because the spirit comes inside of us and is inside of us in a new, more powerful way. And we don't know, we no longer need an external set of laws. God's spirit comes inside of the new believer, writes the law on our hearts. And so not only does the spirit make Jesus like accessible to everyone, the spirit allows Jesus to actually live inside of us helping transform our mind, our hearts, our actions, allowing us to follow God's rules, like naturally bear the fruit of the Spirit God inside of us. I mean, we could go into that forever, but like, that's like a like mind-blowing idea that God would come inside of us and give us new hearts. And so if you had to choose, if we had to choose between a world with Jesus physically present somewhere but one in which he's only accessible to a few people at a time, or a world in which Jesus is available to all people everywhere at all times. And not only that, a world in which it was possible for Jesus to not just be externally available, but internally available inside of us through the Holy Spirit, which one would be better? Second one, right? Wouldn't it be better to have more access to Jesus, to have him and his power inside of us? Now, I, I, I imagine this is true, because this is the way I think, but you guys have a bunch of Silicon Valley smart folks here. There are probably some people who are asking, a question has been like formulating in your mind. And you've, you've thought for a second, like, and you're the kind of person, let me back up for a second, you're the kind of person that like when the dessert menu comes and it's like chocolate, cake, ice cream, key lime pie, and you're like, why can't we have it all? Like, bring them all. Like, you're my kind of person, right? Why do we need to choose? Why are you setting up this either or? Why can't Jesus physically be present and we have the Holy Spirit around inside of us? Wouldn't that actually be the best reality? 
Maybe some of you think like that. It's a great question. It actually gets at the heart of why Jesus actually like had to leave the disciples, why he had to go, because Jesus' work wasn't finished until he left. Like Jesus couldn't do his job until he left. While the Spirit's main job is to point to Jesus, to help us understand and become like him, it's Jesus' main job, not just to come to earth and to show us what God is like, which he did, but also to leave us in death so that he could make a way for us to be reunited with God for all eternity. Jesus had to leave. He had to face an unjust death on the cross. He had to conquer death and sin and Satan in his resurrection. And then, this is crucial here, he had to return to heaven to take his rightful place on the throne at the right hand of God so that we would be reconciled to God and to one another. When Jesus does all of those things together, he fulfills his work and he shows that, yes, he is this reigning king. He is this king that they expected, but he's reigning over something so much bigger than an earthly kingdom. He's reigning over the heavens, the earth. He's reigning over everything. And when Jesus does this, he demonstrates that his incredible reconciliation, his victory, it has actually happened. And he sends us his Holy Spirit, a guarantee that we have and will one day be even more fully reconciled to God. That one day we too will reign with him. Now let's go back to Ephesians and with all of that context, all of that background, read Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, what says this. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Friends, this is my hope for you. This is my prayer for you as we wrap up here. If you are a longtime follower of Jesus, or you are someone that's just exploring faith, my prayer is that Jesus' spirit would draw you closer to him today. My hope is that the Spirit would guide you into the truth that you need to take your next step of obedience today. And and maybe that comes by the Spirit using God's Word to clarify something that's confusing. Uh, Don't do what I did with like the random Bible text thing. That's not, again. Uh, But do open God's Word and ask Him to speak to you. The Scriptures are one of the best and primary tools the Spirit uses for God to speak to us. Or maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you or has been convicting you of something and you're just hanging on to it. Maybe you haven't confessed that, repented of that. Maybe today is the day that you need to take action because there's been a whispering in your soul from God to your heart and you need to end what needs to end. You need to confess what it is that you need to confess. And I love as someone who's had to confess lots of things in my life that Jesus says in uh, 1 John chapter 1, it says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. I love that promise. Or maybe the Spirit is just prompting you to do something, to reach out to a neighbor, to have a conversation with a coworker about faith, to give sacrificially to the church or to some cause or need you see in the world. Maybe the Spirit is prompting you to do something and you need to listen and follow. And so whatever the Spirit is prompting in you, don't ignore his voice today. Listen carefully to what he says, for it is not the Spirit that's speaking, but it's Jesus who's speaking to you through the Spirit. Together, let's follow in joyful obedience the next step he's calling us to. Let's pray. God, I love that you take your confusing word and you make it clear and you make it simple. 
and you make it sharp where it hits us in our hearts. And God, I pray that you would do that with each of us today. Wherever we are in our relationship or exploration of who you are, Lord, would you make your word sharp in our hearts today? Would we have an actionable truth to listen and obey, to listen and follow? A next step, a big step, whatever that is, God, give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. God, I can remember when you changed everything for me. God, I pray for people in this room that this would be a moment where everything changes where someone is born again, where someone chooses obedience over disobedience, where someone chooses faith over non-faith. God, I pray that your spirit would draw us into relationship with you today. In Jesus' name, amen.